Canada is edging closer and closer to a fiscal cliff. Our debt levels will soon hit $1.2 trillion, and our annual deficit remains above $50 billion. But the legacy media is trying to tell you that this is a restrained and even conservative budget. We'll cut through all the spin and tell you the real story. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. So as you saw, the budget, the federal budget was released on Thursday afternoon by Justin Trudeau's finance minister, Chrystia Freeland. She took a break from her major focus, which is the war in Ukraine, and decided to do her secondary job, which is run the finances of Canada. She doesn't do a very good job about it. Well, we took the weekend to read it through very carefully so we can report on all of the hidden details that the Trudeau government doesn't want you to know. So as you saw, Trudeau's faithful lackeys in the parliamentary press gallery were hiding the ball and telling you that this was a budget that was modest, restrained, prudent, and yes, even conservatives. They said that it focused on fiscal responsibility and growing the economy. Of course, the opposite is true. The new deficit is now $52.8 billion. That's how much they're spending every single year, more than what they bring in. New spending in this budget amounted to $56 billion, our debt is now 1.2 trillion or it will be at the end of the year. That means that each individual Canadian, including yourself, owes $31,000 of that debt. Your children owe $31,000 of that debt. The debt is growing $400 million per day, according to our friends over at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And so to help really break this down, we wanted to bring in our friend uh, from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Franco Terrazano. Franco is the federal director of CTF. He has a master's degree in public policy and a bachelor in arts and economics. Franco writes about the costs associated with tax increases, inefficient government, unintended consequences of government policies. Franco, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, well, thanks so much for having me on today. So, so tell, tell us about this budget. We, we, we've had a couple of days here to digest it and, and, to, and to see how the media is, is covering it. Uh, I want to get your thoughts, though. What, what, what does the budget mean? What are the day-to-day impacts of it? Well, we're seeing another credit card budget from this credit card government. And just like all huge credit card tabs, it's really going to come with a sting for taxpayers already, but also down the road. Um, As you mentioned, another huge deficit, right? The third year in a row with massive deficits. Back in 2020, the deficit was over 300 billion. Last year, over 100 billion. This year, still over $50 billion. And of course, with all of that borrowing for years and years and years, it means taxpayers are losing out on a ton of money just to pay interest on the debt. Candace, this is a number that really stuck out to me. Every single month, taxpayers are losing out on more than $2 billion just to pay interest charges on the government's credit card. To put that into more perspective, it means that this year, Canadian taxpayers are paying more just on interest charges on the federal debt than the Alberta government is spending on health care. That's wild. That's incredible. And, you know, no wonder our healthcare system is lagging behind. No wonder our country isn't getting ahead. It's interesting because when you listen to the liberals and Chrystia Freeland, you know, one of the things I saw her say in an interview with Global was that her focus is on growing the economy. Okay. So, 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 so that's the, that's the key focus for Chrystia Freeland in this budget. Well, uh, Rudyard Griffith, who is a editor over at the hub, he, he put out a, a, 
a graph from the budget that shows that Canada is dead last in per capita GDP growth for the coming decades. It shows less than 1% growth in our GDP, which is way below the OECD average. And and, and yet, at the same time, our, our, our government uh, spending is growing by about 2% per year. Is, is there anything in this budget that you see as actually helpful to growing the economy? Or how can the, how can the government justify it in this way? There is, there is very little in there that taxpayers should be happy about in terms of some economic growth. There's a little bit of tax relief for medium-sized businesses by expanding the eligibility to the small business tax rate, which is lower than the corporate tax rate, but there really isn't much in here. In fact, it's the opposite. It looks like this budget is going to continue to fuel inflation in Candace. This The higher cost of living is one of the key issues facing Canadians in our day-to-day lives. You know, this government likes to talk about affordability, but so many Canadians can't afford to fuel up their cars with gasoline or put ground beef in their shopping carts at the grocery store. And one of the reasons is, is because this government is spending like crazy and it's raising taxes. Well, what we're seeing is more debt in this budget. Uh, Over the next few years, this budget is going to increase the federal government's $1.2 trillion debt by about $150 billion. Um, We hear the government say they want to reduce the cost of living. Well, trying to fight inflation with all this government debt is like trying to put out a fire with a can of gasoline. It's just going to make these things worse, right? Um, Now, let's talk about the tax hikes that we have seen already. We've already seen the carbon tax go up in 2022. We've already seen booze taxes go up in 2022. We've already seen payroll taxes go up in 2022. In this budget, there's going to be a tax on banking and insurance companies. And look, you're not going to see me losing any sleep over uh, big bankers. But what I am going to lose sleep over, what I am worried about, is that those costs are going to trickle their way down into higher banking fees that Canadians are going to feel. Right. Like the banks aren't just going to eat the costs. They're going to pass it along to their consumers, to their clients, and Canadians are going to end up paying more for their banking. That's 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 kind of the basic you know, equation that, that the people in this government don't really seem to understand. I, w- I want to talk a little bit about inflation because I noticed that the inflation numbers were worse than what the government's own targets were last year. So so this is obviously a problem that they didn't foresee in, in the way that, that it has actualized. Uh, I, I like your line there about how you know, trying to ease inflation with more government debt is like putting out a fire with gasoline. So I, I you know, the, the government shrugs it off and just says this is a global phenomenon. It's not their fault. We are seeing inflation in the United States, who, who is also in the midst of a spending spree uh, for COVID. I, I, I want to ask you, you know, wh- why is inflation growing? And what does it mean for the typical Canadian? Well, it means a lot of hardships is what it means for Canadians. And this is real Canadians who are in the private sector, who may have lost their job during the pandemic, who may have taken a pay cut during the pandemic, who may have lost their business, They're feeling the pain of higher prices at the worst possible time. Yeah, it might not feel too painful for the people who are living in their cushy bubbles in Ottawa who continue to give themselves pay raise after pay raise after pay raise. But for everyday working Canadians in the private sector, it means an awful lot of pain. Now, let's talk about some of these uh, global confusions, if we can call it that. Yeah, other countries are feeling the pain of inflation when these other countries are running massive deficits and have their printing press on overdrive like Canada. 
But countries that haven't had all this money creation, Japan, Switzerland, aren't dealing with the type of inflation that's happening in Canada. And Candice, I want to address another point of confusion that we often hear is about these supply issues. Well, we always have supply issues. There is always supply issues year after year, whether it's a refinery shutting down, whether it's maybe bad weather, uh, crop disasters. This happens all the time. Yeah, CP, CP strike that happened a couple of years ago caused huge supply issues. So you're right, we see it every year. Exactly. But what's different about now that's leading to 30 decades high inflation? What's different about now is that we just had two years of revolving government lockdowns, which hammers output. We just had the printing press create $370 billion out of thin air, drop it into our economy, meaning the more dollars they print, the less that our dollars buy. So what we've seen now, which is different than before, is the government create the perfect storm for inflation, which is too many dollars chasing too few goods. And then they kind of throw their hands up and just say it's a global phenomenon. It, it doesn't have anything to do with, with what we are doing. It's like we're relearning all of the same lessons that we I thought we had learned in the 70s and 80s when we were dealing with inflation back then. So what would your advice be to the government to, to, to curb this problem? Because you're right, it, it, it has such a big impact on Canadians' everyday life. The price that you pay at the grocery store, the cost of uh, gassing up, uh, filling up your car with gas, the cost of buying anything, all of these supply issues. So uh, what, what, what do you advise the government do instead? Stop doing what you're doing to make these tough times tougher. Turn off the printing press, right? Stop with these massive inflationary government deficits and crazy overspending. And number three, <laughs> stop with the tax hikes at the worst mm -hmm. possible time. Uh, it sounds common sense because it should be common sense. If, if you're creating inflation with your crazy spending, with your printing press and with tax hikes, stop doing it. So that's what we're calling on the government. And it's what we have been calling on the government to do for quite some time. Well, I, I do want to go through some of the way that the media has described this. So Global News Bureau Chief David Aiken uh, tweeted out that this is a very modest budget. Budget measures have a net cost this year of $7.4 billion. Net new spending through fiscal 27 is just $30 billion. Uh, well, that's, that's a little different than the numbers that we have. I, I calculated the new spending to be $56 billion. Uh, alas, uh, John Iveson in the National Post wrote that for these big spending liberals, this is a this is what a prudent budget looks like. Uh, likewise, Tana McCharles of the Toronto Star tweeted that this may be the most conservative budget the Trudeau Liberals have written yet. I saw uh, Mercedes Stevenson repeat this line uh, on a news report. She said that the government is sending a message of fiscal restraint, and she's, she told us that that Canada is returning to pre-pandemic spending levels. I just want to give you an opportunity, Franco, to reply uh, and to, 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 to refute any of these messages. Is this an accurate picture of what the budget looked like? No, no, not at all. I mean, in what world is this budget prudent or uh, some type of fiscal responsible? Not on planet Earth, maybe on some type of fantasy land. And here's why. So pre-pandemic, the federal government was spending all-time highs. Just let that sink in. We'll get back to it. Now, this year, the government is going to be spending about $90 billion more than pre-pandemic, which was already all-time high. So back in 2018, 2019, you had the Trudeau government spending more than the federal government did during any single year during World War II, even after accounting for inflation and population differences. And this year, 
The government wants to spend about $90 billion more than that. So when you hear these numbers like, oh, it's just another $30 billion in new spending, even it's just another $60 billion in new spending, even that undercuts just how big of a spending this budget truly is. $90 billion more this year than what the government want was spending pre-pandemic, which were all time highs. But also, even if you just look at the last fiscal update, even if you look at the last federal budget in 2021, this year's spending is going to outspend both those last targets. So really on all measures, this budget is chock full of more government spending, more government borrowing. That's why we call it the credit card budget from this credit card government, because there's also no plan to return to balance and, and no plan to start chipping away at the $1 trillion debt problem. It's, it's so interesting because, again, listening to our finance minister, Chrystia Freeland, uh, she, fo- she said that the focus is on paying down the pandemic debt. She said that that would be the government's fiscal anchor. Uh, she said the ma- government's main fiscal indicator is a declining debt to GDP ratio. We know that it was hovering at around 30% pre-pandemic. It's now bumped up to 45%, which means that our debt is almost half the size of our entire economy, which is a pretty terrifying figure knowing that that doesn't even figure in provincial debt, which is also astronomical. So so, so when you add all those together, uh, I, I, I don't even want to start calculating it because I, I predict or I, I assume that, that our debt is bigger than our economy. Uh, but again, how, how do, well, maybe you can help us uh, understand that, but break down those numbers. But how does Christia Freeland with a straight face uh, tell the Canadian public and tell the media that the that the government is working to chip away pandemic debt? I didn't see any debt repayments in, in this budget. I just saw large interest payments. So maybe you can help us understand that. There is no debt reduction at all. Let's just take that off the table. The debt is right now about $1.2 trillion, about $1.2 trillion. By the end of this fiscal projection, which is 2027, the government will have added nearly $150 billion to the debt. So there is absolutely no debt reduction in this budget, quite the opposite, more debt being layered on top of Canadian taxpayers and their kids and their grandkids. And there's absolutely zero plan on when this government is going to balance the budget. The best that this government is willing to do is to say, hey, uh, sometime in 2026, the deficit will finally be under $10 billion. We're going to finally bring the deficit into single digit billions. But Candace, I mean, why should we even trust them? on that. Let's look at let's look at their track record. Remember back in what was it 2014 you had Justin Trudeau saying the budget was going to balance itself? Yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> in 2015 when he was running for the office of prime minister, he said he would run a few modest deficits and balance the budget in 2019. Well, it turns out he missed that target by a cool easy breezy 20 billion dollars. So even the targets in this budget Uh, which are not even close to balance, I think taxpayers have every right to be skeptical of. Now, one point that I want to jump back to is this whole debt to GDP ratio. This is the government's favorite favorite fiscal anchor, so to speak. Um, But still, to your point, it is 15 percentage points above pre-pandemic levels, which were already high. Um, But it also doesn't account for provincial government liabilities, which this government has shown that it's all too willing to pick up the tab. Just last year, the feds gave Newfoundland and Labrador a $5.2 billion bailout. So when you look at total indebtedness, our debt, our government debt, is more than the entire economy produces in a single year. It's over 100% of GDP. 
That's so terrifying. Uh, so I, I, I want to ask you, because you mentioned Newfoundland and Labrador, I saw that the government approved a large uh, off off uh, shore oil and gas project, which you know, gave, gave me a little bit of a surprise. I didn't, I didn't expect that from the government. Apparently, uh, drilling for oil out on the east uh, in the east is 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 perfectly fine. Uh, oil oil in Western Canada, not OK. Uh, were, were there any positive takeaways uh, from this budget? Anything that you saw that was a good sign for taxpayers? Well, I uh, certainly had to dig a pretty hard to find some uh, some nuggets of good for taxpayers. But let me let me put as positive of a spin on this budget as I can for taxpayers. So we kind of touched on it. There is some small and medium sized business tax relief. They are expanding the eligibility uh, for businesses to be able to get that lower tax rate corporate. So yeah, I guess that's um, I guess that's some good news for some businesses that do need relief. So. So that's good. Um, there's also going to be some sort of tax-free savings account if you want to be a first-time home buyer. So you're gonna you're gonna see a little bit of relief there. Um, but there really isn't much good news for taxpayers. It really is a lot of bad news, especially if you're already worried about the cost of living, which so many millions of Canadians are, because you're gonna have this debt continue to fuel inflation. Um, maybe you could say that, well, the only major tax hike seems to be on these banks and insurance companies, but Candace, as we've already talked about, well, who's going to end up really paying that tax? And it's likely going to be Canadian consumers through higher banking fees. And of course, the real pain from this budget comes from having to pay back these huge credit card bills that the Freeland and Trudeau government is racking up. It's interesting. So you talked you talked about that uh, tax free savings account for first time home buyers. I know that was a pledge that the Liberals had made during the 2021 election. It was almost like a conservative promise because usually it's conservatives who are trying to incentivize personal savings. Uh, that that doesn't really address, though, Franco, the larger issue. Uh, which is the supply of houses. I mean, I, I think one of the biggest issues in Canada is just the cost of buying a home. So many young Canadians, so many people under the age of 30, even under the age of 40, uh, are being blocked out of home ownership. And it really hurts people trying to you know, go on to that next stage of life, having a family, having kids, that sort of dream of living in the suburb, not really available. So, so helping you know, a, uh, people who already have savings, who are already on the pathway towards home ownership, uh, doesn't do anything to address the astronomical cost of housing. I think I read that the average single family home in Ontario now is over $1.2 million. Imagine, you know, a 25 year old or a 30 year old even trying to afford that kind of proposition. It, it's, it seems impossible. And so the idea of a tax free account is, is really just it's like window dressing. It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't do anything to impact the root of the problem, which is that housing is so expensive. Which is because there just isn't enough housing in and around Toronto. But it's also a problem all over Canada. I know it's a huge problem. Vancouver has been for decades, but increasingly a problem in places like Edmonton and Calgary as well. So I, I, I guess I wonder if you can comment on things that the government could do. Because another thing, Christy Freeland talked about how this was a supply side budget, which is kind of taking a page from Ronald Reagan, uh, John F. Kennedy, the conservatives that that they would focus more on, on the supply side of the economy. I, I didn't see anything uh, that was actually supply side. So again, it, the government is saying things that aren't reflective of reality. And in, 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 when, when we look at the actual situation, they're not addressing the supply side. They're just kind of trying to help people save up money, uh, which again, in, in, increases demand because more people will be able to buy houses. So maybe, maybe you can comment on the, the confusion there. 
Well, you know, the housing issue is is a huge issue and it's a complex one. And just quite frankly, it's not just a federal government issue. You're also mm-hmm. going to have to look at provincial governments and also really municipal governments as well with regulations, zonings, property taxes, things of that nature. But there's two things that governments as a whole need to do uh, in Canada. And one of the big ones is, is the federal government. Number one, stop the printing press, stop ballooning assets. That is what fuels and drives demand. Easy money policies that drive interest rates low, fuel demand, pump new money into the system, balloon assets. Um, So that is a big thing that the federal government could just stop doing right away to stop ballooning these assets. But of course, number two is, as you've mentioned, you have to build homes And of course, you build homes with hammers and nails, not with tax hikes, a thing that the CMHC, the Canada Housing or Mortgage Housing Corporation, the Crown Corporation federally, seems to totally uh, not understand. Because Candace, of course, the CMHC, which is a federal Crown Corporation, is taking our tax dollars to fund report a report that recommends tax hikes to somehow cool off the housing market. Well, this must be the first tax increase in history that is going to somehow reduce prices, right? Well, well, we've done it. We've changed the law of economics. Um, But of course, that's not how things happen in the real world. And these types of home taxes that reports like this are recommending uh, would just increase the cost of homes, either with homeowners adding on to the price, the tax, or just deciding not to sell and avoiding the tax, which again would reduce supply. So Candice, as, as you talked about, governments, not just the federal government, have to encourage more homes to be built. And largely, that's just getting out of the way. That's not spending more money driving up demand. It's getting out of the way, cutting back on these crazy types of regulations. And number two, you got to turn off the printing press, which is ballooning all types of assets, all types of prices, including home prices. That's a really good point. I, one of the other things I noticed in this budget is it's chock full, as you expect from a Trudeau uh, budget, uh, with woke pet causes. So there's lots of money to the sort of rainbow rights coalition. Uh, there's something called menstrual equity in the budget. Yes, you, you heard that correct. Menstrual equity. Apparently, they're going to make uh, women's menstruation equal to all people. And as Tristan Hopper wrote about in the National Post, tax-exempt sperm. Uh, we also heard Chrissy Freeland sort of praising herself for uh, women's liberation. She said it was a a women's uh, economic policy budget. And she she was patting herself on the back and applauding herself, uh, saying that she had solved the decades long feminist uh, issue of what, you know, balancing work and and, and, and childcare for for kids by uh, providing more government daycare, I guess. Uh, so, so I, I wonder if, if there were any any of these woke pet causes that that popped out to you, uh, really useless spending or wasteful spending that you that you saw in the budget. Well, there was two big ticket items that really caught my eye. Number one was what they're calling this growth fund, fifteen billion dollars in this fund. Fifteen billion dollars is is a ton of money for starters, uh, but there wasn't very much details. Essentially what it sounds like, or what it smells like is this huge corporate welfare slush fund that they're gonna be throwing around at this business, that sector, that industry here and there. Um, but look, this government couldn't balance the budget of a lemonade stand. And now it somehow thinks that it can be uh, an investment banker with $15 billion worth of taxpayers' money. 
come on, I say, no, thank you. Like just return the $15 billion to us through lower taxes and we'll take it from here. Let Canadian families and businesses grow the economy. We don't need these bureaucrats running around. But the second thing that really caught my eye was there's going to be a billion dollar government agency created to focus on innovation. Well, Candice, have you ever heard a bigger oxymoron than that? A government agency for innovation? Like, come on. It's crazy the things that they'll come up with uh, to spend money on. And your point, like, wouldn't wouldn't you rather have investors and people who understand industry, people who come from certain backgrounds that that that, that can they can choose for themselves where to invest and where to innovate instead of to your point having centralized bureaucrats in in Ottawa? It doesn't seem like there's a problem in the world that the Trudeau liberals. Uh, don't think that they can solve through through more spending. Well, uh, Franco, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for all your efforts uh, pouring through this budget so that so that we don't have to. Uh, lots of lots of problems, and we applaud all the efforts uh, of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. So thank you for joining us. Well, hey, thank you so much for having me on today. All right, that's Franco Terrazino. I'm Candice Malcolm, and this is the Candice Malcolm Show.